This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, why are you carrying that lava lamp? Because uh, it's psychedelic, man. This is the good shit. Look at yeah. this thing. The red tinted glasses. What What are you dressed up as? What is, what's going uh, on? Thank you for making fun of me. This is a beautiful little crop top that I picked up. And I think I look pretty swell in it. First of all, I think the people at home should just for a moment stay with that image in their heads. I've been working out. Um, I've been working out, Kyle. Thanks for noticing. All right. Well, I guess you can just plug the lamp into the machine here. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. I'm Dave. Still. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Today, we're going to be watching Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Groovy. Austin Powers. Crazy baby. The beautiful Felicity Shagwell. How does that feel, baby? Mm, lower. How does that feel, baby? In a thrilling adventure of intrigue, treachery, and love. But Dr. Evil is back, and more evil than ever. I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna cry. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the 60s and steal Austin Powers' no Jerry. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, Dave, I am I am very interested in knowing the Oh, Dave, we have a we have a knock on the guest oh, door. Man, that door's been pretty busy lately. I think you need to check that out. It's just floating there. All right. Hey there. Oh hi, Lucia. <laughs> from hi. Repodcasting. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very good. You know, um, do you, you do you this is a weird coincidence. Do you have time to possibly watch and talk about austin powers the spy who shagged me oh my gosh i always have time for austin powers oh excellent you know before we jump too far into this and before we get dave to talk at all uh, <clears throat> why don't you talk about your history with austin powers and then specifically this sequel well i i've seen all three films many times probably more than i should admit and uh the spy who shagged me was the first one that i watched in theaters i i loved it at the time there were definitely parts of it that i was either uncomfortable with or disliked but overall i really liked it yeah i owned all three on dvd wow. and i watched them a that lot that is <laughs> digital video disc for the younger <laughs> uh viewers I'm, I'm just curious too because we actually have a bit of a shared history then with the this film franchise what was this like a family outing film or you were pursuing this by yourself? No, my parents, their English isn't that strong. So I never went to the movies with them except for like a couple times when I was very little. Uh, this was something that I took a friend to see on her birthday. Mm. That's nice. That's cool. Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> you don't have to share this if you don't want to, but can you share like about how old you were in 1999? I was seven, uh, sorry, 18 when this came out. Okay. So Dave, I want to know the same kind of answer from you. What's your history with Austin Powers and then this movie in particular sure uh my parents never went to the movies with me because they didn't love no um <laughs> austin oh, powers so sad. no we get along great uh, austin powers was my father are we doing <laughs> we already did star wars episode one the phantom menace kyle i think we <laughs> need to right, move that past correct. that austin Powers. so when the first one came out uh I, yeah i saw it in theaters i'm a little bit older uh second one came out i saw it in theaters third one I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters. I, I think like like we talked about with Star Wars, Austin Powers became this like pretty, I, I hesitate to use such a strong phrase, but cultural thing for comedy. It, it kind of oh, it yeah. fucking blew up. Uh, and so this is something that was, even now I'm like, have this hazy quotable moments uh, from the franchise. I would almost posit that it is 
if you were watching any type of television or, or plugged into any type of media, I don't think it would be possible to have no knowledge at all of what Austin Powers was. Like he was in commercials. He was like, like he was everywhere. Like in that era. Yes. In that era. Yeah. yeah I don't think people today uh, give a shit. But uh, um, I, I actually have a, a counterpoint to that, but we'll talk about ooh, that later. It's like you, it's almost like you have already watched it and done some research. Yeah, it's weird. I know we haven't watched it yeah, yet. Yeah, we but don't want to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how could we have watched it when we were just sitting in front of the machine here, the three of us, to mm-hmm. watch it together, Kyle? So my history is very similar in that the first film, so I guess let me back up. Uh, my parents did rent a ton of movies for us kids to watch. We always had like family nights. Um, and I've talked about my woes of how the local theater burnt down in my small little town for a good chunk of my teenagehood. The original film, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, was definitely a rental that my parents brought home that we all watched together. And um, How old were you when that happened? Because that could have been very awkward. I would have been 13. Mm, okay. 13, 14, right. somewhere in that ballpark probably still not necessarily super appropriate but i mean you're a teenager it's not like you don't know all this stuff from going to school this movie is the movie i went and had my parents take me to for my 16th birthday well that's so cute (laughs) in a red deer alberta because we still didn't have our theater built we drove into red deer we had like a, a dinner together and then they took me to the theater and this is what we watched so out of all the possibilities to go and see in the theater i picked the austin powers movie to go and see i'm imagining you know i think it's a great i'm imagining you in a tux with a bow tie it's adorable that's right <laughs> now the third film is interesting so it came out when i was in university and uh i took this interesting opportunity to be a camp counselor in uh, Massachusetts for, for two summers in a row. And I was there for two months, uh, each time. And so the people that came were extremely wealthy families. Like we are talking top 1% of families of New York city who sent their children away for two months at a time. And so one of the people, one of the kids, fathers was a producer on this movie. And so we got to see it a month early before anyone else got to <laughs> and i actually got oh i had God. a shirt of with gold member on it that they gave to everyone <laughs> uh that night that we got to go and see it anyway so, so it's a weird history i have with austin powers oh. wait so can i ask yeah. you something because i'm pretty sure i saw the last one in theaters as well mm-hmm. but i don't even recall because i didn't really like it no, and it's so not it's good. just not that memorable okay so i was gonna like ask if because you got to see it a month early and in the, these special circumstances, did you maybe enjoy it more? Well, I think Austin Powers has moments of brilliance and I think that's what everyone remembers. But uh, until, yeah, so the third one is not good. <laughs> Although I enjoyed like the references to some musical theater things that they reference in that movie. And I have always appreciated the openings to Austin Powers movies because I just think they're clever mm-hmm. and, and interesting how they use titles and, and stuff like that. But yeah, no, it's not. It's not great. Okay. Why don't we take the time to go and watch this movie? And uh, we'll, I'll, of course, thank some sponsors in the meantime. And then when we return, we'll be discussing Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Hey, everyone. Kyle here. Ready to talk to you about some of our lovely sponsors here this week. Yeah, baby. That's what he says. That is what uh, Mr. Powers says. First and foremost, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from Women in Film and Television Alberta. Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has had some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. Her most recent episode that you might find interesting is her conversation with Tasha Hubbard. It's entitled Telling Indigenous Stories. Here's a bit of the description. We hear from award-winning Cree filmmaker Tasha Hubbard. She speaks with Storylines host Sheena Rossiter about how she got into documentary film, the importance of telling Indigenous stories, and the success of her most recent film, We Will Stand Up. You can find Storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find it 
at wifta.ca. That's W-I-F-T-A dot C-A. This week, we're also brought to you by Pod Power. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This week, we're giving a Pod Power shout out to A Tale of Two Weeklies. A Tale of Two Weeklies is a documentary podcast series that digs into the rise and fall of Edmonton's C Magazine and View Weekly. Two alt-weeklies engaged in a newspaper war that neither survived. You can find A Tale of Two Weeklies wherever pods are cast or visit taleoftwoweeklies.com. All right. Well, there we go. That was our, that's a, that was a comedy. (laughs) You know, uh, you said, Lucia, that you've seen this, you know, multiple times. When was the last time you probably sat down and watched Austin Powers? It's probably been like a good five to seven years. Like it's been a while. How about you, Dave? When was probably the last time you recall sitting down and watching any of the Austin Powers films? I don't know. 1999. I, I don't have a recollection of owning this and i was already not a i was definitely not a beyonce fan so i didn't like the third one so i wouldn't have owned it i think we went to go see because helen's a big fan to be honest definitely after the third one i don't think i've watched any of them so what's the third one 2002 two or i think roughly it's been 18 years before we jump into some of the backstory though how are we feeling yeah like thumbs up thumbs down in the middle I fell asleep. I'm in the middle. I fell asleep three times. You fell asleep. <laughs> I think that tells a lot about <laughs> what to, what to expect. I'm kind of in the middle too, but I'm excited to jump uh, into talking about the movie. But before we do that, let's go through some of the backstory here. So, Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me was released on June 11th, 1999. Uh, the other major-ish release was the Canadian film The Red Violin, written by Don McKellar and Francois Girard. Hold up, hold directed, up. What's up? How do we not watch The Red Violin and we watched Austin Powers? What is wrong because, with your machine? Uh, I guess it, the, the machine is very diligent in trying to find oh, culturally relevant films because nobody outside of you and me probably remember The Red Violin. Your, I love Your machine's a prick, buddy. I, oh, God damn it. Okay, Okay, so it, that, that movie was directed by Francois... Francois Girard, starring Jason Fleming, Greta Scashi, and Don McKellar. Awesome Powers, Spy Shagged Me, is rated 6.6 on IMDb. It has a 59 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes, from 87 critics, it averages 52%. So that's a rotten film then in that case. And then uh, for 942,000 users, it's a 71% oh my on God. Rotten Tomatoes. So, it is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent via YouTube or Google Play Movies. So, fairly available. Its budget in 1999 was $33 million. It opened to $17 million. Domestically, it would go on to make 206. Internationally, it would have another 105. So, its grand total was $312 million, which adjusted for inflation is $483 million. It was the 10th highest grossing movie of 1999, so it made a lot of money. Its plot description from IMDb is, Dr. Evil is back and has invented a new time machine that allows him to go back to the 1960s and steal Austin Powers' mojo, inadvertently leaving him shagless. That is the official plot description for this movie. (laughs) All right, so it stars Mike Myers as Austin Powers slash Dr. Evil slash Fat Bastard. It's our, uh, there's also Heather Graham as Felicity Shagwell, Seth Green as Scott Evil, and Vern Troyer as Mini-Me. So let's start with Vern Troyer. Uh, he was born January 1st, 1969. Vern Troyer had an extensive acting career. His first film appearance was in the 1996 film called Pinocchio's Revenge. It was a horror film, and he starred in it as Pinocchio. He would go on to be in some pretty high-grossing films, such as uh, Jingle All the Way, Men in Black, and Mighty Joe Young, as well as appearing briefly in the film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, I have to ask, do either of you remember Vern Troyer from any of his previous uh, appearances, or was this kind of your first memory of him being in a movie? It's my first and only memory of him. Even, like, hearing you say many movies i've seen yeah. that he was in i don't yeah, I, can't yeah, I think it was under like heavy heavy makeup yeah what in fear and loathing he's in fear and loathing i think it's literally one scene like in in the background so they needed like a small person to 
be be part of that. So definitely, though, his appearance as Mini-Me and Austin Powers would catapult him into the cultural zeitgeist. Now, to talk about the elephant in the room, uh, he has a genetic reality of cartilage hair hypoplasia, the results of which include dwarfism, varying levels of immunodeficiency, and a predisposition to cancer. Uh, as such, to make it in Hollywood seems like this huge long shot, but he continued working for a couple of decades. So other high-profile roles were How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Bubble Boy, the cult film Polly Shore is Dead, before transitioning into many television appearances. Unfortunately, his life had a tragic ending. Battling with alcoholism for years, on April 21st, 2018, Troyer would pass away at the age of 49. It would late, later be ruled as a suicide due to alcohol poisoning. His last movie came out posthumously. It was called Aliens, Clowns, and Geeks and was released in 2019. However, an unreleased movie called the 420 movie, Mary and Jane, seems to be on the horizon. Any of you seen Aliens, Clowns, and Geeks at all? Is there a way to use words to describe the face I'm making? Or Yeah, you look like Grimace from the uh, McDonald's commercials. Grimace, yeah, Grimace is a good one. <laughs> Seth Green, maybe a bit of a cop-out here, but he was born February 8th, 1974. We've already heard about Seth Green. So if you want a rundown of his entire, uh, you know, resume at, to this point, you can go and check out our episode on Idle Hands, no. but don't watch Idle Hands. No, it's awful. Watch, don't watch that It's movie. so bad. It's so bad. Uh, just know that Seth's career at this point was just taking off. So he was becoming pretty big Let, at this point. Let's just stress again. Do not watch Idle Hands. It is so bad. Yeah, it is among the worst movies I've ever seen. But okay. So bad. Um, Dave, uh, th the machine wants you to continue over here so for me. Bossy. So I'm going to send you this here and you can continue on. Heather Graham. Heather Graham was born January 29th, 1970. She started acting as a teenager. She had a couple of uncredited roles to begin her career. First in the movie, Mrs. Soffel. Soffel? Soffel? From I don't know. Never heard of it, so I'm going to say Soffel. Soffel. I mean, Mrs. Saffel from 1984. And then she portrayed Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito's mother in the movie Twins during a flashback. But it was her roles in Drugstore Cowboy and then the role of Annie Blackburn in the TV series Twin Peaks that would really push her into the limelight. Uh, the machine. You're going double butt, machine. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's the machine's fault. Yeah, it's just a machine. <laughs> Listen. I had a really long night last night. It's not like a person wrote this mm -hmm. uh, who could have reread it, but it was probably the film's Swingers and Boogie Nights that really had her breakthrough. After that, she had a cameo in Scream 2, starred in Lost in Space. I actually like that movie. I, I know that upsets you. And then appeared in this Austin Powers film. I just want to break in, like, for, for me, and I don't know, Lucy, if you have a different perspective, it felt like Heather Graham kind of just, like, was in everything all at once like it it seemed like oh. she was just like oh she's in like five movies and then in the span of two years and then has basically dropped off pretty quickly well i haven't seen her in anything super yeah. recently but i feel like she had like a good stretch there mm -hmm. but yeah she it was yeah she was in a lot of things at once speaking to that since this peak she has continued to work uh, like i didn't know that i'm because i'm an asshole some of her highlights include bowfinger Hope Springs, nine episodes of Scrubs, and The Hangover. Over the last five years, she's stuck mostly to television. She has three films and and uh, sorry, she has three films and a television pilot that are all in post production. Spelling error. But her next project, you might be able to see. Uh, then, but her next project, you might be able to see, is Wander. Its plot description is, after getting hired to probe a suspicious death in the small town of Wander, a mentally unstable private investigator becomes convinced the case is linked to the same conspiracy cover-up that caused the death of his daughter. It stars um, Tommy Lee Jones, so that's the kind of like <laughs> tone you're going to expect from that movie. He's like, he, he's pretty old now. I, I'm not, I don't disagree, I'm just saying who it stars. Oh my God, this thing just goes on and on. Mike Myers. Mike Myers is like, uh, it's my man Mike for a little bit and then and then not anymore. <laughs> uh, born May 25th, 1963. He's Canadian, if you couldn't tell. Sorry, I mean, Kyle. his accent is pretty thick. All like right. he speaks like a Canadian. <laughs> okay, let me try that. Uh, okay. He also started acting as a teenager. 
His first credit is on the Canadian television series King of Kensington, clearly from Toronto. He was also on the Canadian show The Littlest Hobo for one episode. It was a cute dog. It, but does anyone have any relationship with that show, The Littlest Hobo? Of course. I remember hating it, but I saw like so many different episodes growing up. <laughs> I agree. I, it was like the boring show, oh, yeah. but I watched it anyway. We didn't have a lot of options. We had two other channels. What's boring about a like, dog walking do? around? That like a- <laughs> I'm a cat person. <laughs> uh, but depending on your age, the breakthrough role for Mike Myers is when... Uh, the breakthrough for Mike Myers is when he was cast on Saturday Night Live in 1989. That was like a golden era of SNL. There he would have such recurring characters as Wayne, Dieter, Simon, and Lina Richmond of Coffee Talk. He would take his Wayne character. Wasn't there a last name? Are we just going to say Wayne? I don't remember. Campbell. Campbell. Campbell, thank you. Yeah. He would take his Wayne Campbell character along with Dana Carvey's Garth character. I'm pretty sure there's a last name there too, but that's fine, Cup. I mean machine, and be in the film Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Fun fact, the performance of Bohemian Rhapsody at the beginning of Wayne's World is credited as repopularizing that song. I mean, I, apparently it yeah, was. It, it, it went back to number one 25 years later. It's <laughs> a great song. Although yeah. uh, apparently divisive in that opinion. Some people uh, don't like it. Those people are wrong. Yeah, because they're horrible <laughs> human beings um, and have no taste. He'd be in the film that has slowly grown to being, uh, sorry, that has slowly grown to being consi- considered a minor class. That has slowly grown to being considered a minor classic. Yeah. I think that, the, the, again, tense is rock. There. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe someone should have done the second pass before sending this off. You know, to that you might have been my responsibility. Just shut up and read. Anyways, what was that movie that's called a minor classic? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. Hold on. I'm in the film. That- he'd, been, he'd be in the film that has slowly become considered a minor classic. So I Married an Axe Murderer. But then he'd co-write and star in Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, which blew up, spawned two sequels, and was rumored to be an animated show on HBO before that project fell through. Like, not that this is what this episode is going to be about, but it's a pretty interesting story about how, yes, it was supposed to become an animated show on HBO, and then eventually that fell through. This was like a multi-year story and thing that happened. I didn't even know about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but HBO is outside of my wheelhouse anyway, so can't afford it. So couldn't even afford the news on it. The other franchise he'd be a part of, and probably even more culturally relevant, is the animated film Shrek, where he voices the titular role. Titular? That's right, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Uh, he came in late to that project after the tragic death of Chris Farley. And for good or for bad, Shrek would spawn countless memes and make Smash Mouse all-star live in infamy. You don't like Shrek? Wow. I like Shrek just fine. It's, it's fine. It's, just, no, it's fine. some bias in this writing. It's machine. This is why we couldn't watch the red violin. We have... mm. Shrek would be a bit of a cash cow. It'd have three sequels, a bunch of television specials, and video games. After the disastrous reception, both critically and commercially, of his film The Love Guru in 2008, Mike Myers sort of retired. He'd still voice Shrek in different projects, and taking the very occasional bit part in films like Inglorious Bastards and Bohemian Rhapsody, he'd also produce and direct the documentary Supermensch about the life of Shep Gordon, a music producer. That a documentary was on Netflix for a while, but I don't think it is anymore. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty great documentary. Hmm. He seems like he's attracted to playing characters under heavy makeup where people might not even know him. Obviously, it was being toyed with in the Austin Powers movies. But it reached its extreme during the revival of The Gong Show in 2017, where he was the host Tommy Maitland, a supposed older English presenter with a fake backstory called Tommy Maitland. What? So, if you don't know about this, this is so wild. A, do you know what The Gong Show is, either of you? Yes, originally. Okay. I didn't know they remade So, there's the original Gong Show, like in the 70s, right? Bad Axe, bang the, the gong. It came back in 2017, but hosted... By this guy named Tommy Maitland. But it was like Tommy Maitland was the only name in the show. That's who they said was starring in it. They had this fake backstory, but it was actually Mike Myers under makeup. Oh, weird. The whole time. And he never said that. He never did interviews out of character. He would always be in the character of Tommy Maitland. So he like went like um what's his name? The man on the moon guy. Um, uh, Andy Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. He went like full Andy Kaufman committed to this role. To the to the degree, I only caught a very brief 
uh, one episode of this at my parents' house. I'm like, oh, you know that that's Mike Myers? And they would not believe me. Hmm. They would not believe me that there was Mike Myers underneath makeup. <laughs> oh, see, to me, it well, maybe didn't look like him. But to me, it was kind of obvious. I know. That that, me too. But apparently, like, it really... It really convinced I it people. A lot of people. I think I'd already given up on cable by then, so I had oh, no yeah, idea. It's... Sorry, the Gong Show came back in 2017. Uh, yeah. It was named American Idol, <laughs> but never on the show is Mike Myers credited as portraying him. An untitled Mike Myers Netflix television series project is on the horizon, as is rumored. An Austin Powers Four. Oh God. Well, Austin Powers Four has been rumored for like what twelve? Yeah, so so long. <laughs> This movie was written by Mike Myers and Michael McCullers. We've heard about Mike Myers, but uh, I don't know if you need that. Mike, uh, we've already heard about Mike Myers. Michael McCullers was a Saturday Night Live writer for one season before being hired by Mike Myers to help out on the Austin Powers sequel. He'd also help co-write the third Austin Powers film. He'd go on to write the Tina Fey and Amy Poehler film Baby Mama, which he also directed. Another credit is the animated film The Boss Baby. Coming up, it looks like his collaboration with Mike Myers continues, as there is an untitled Shrek reboot that is currently being written to be released in 2022. He was also announced to be the writer for the fifth try at making a good Fantastic Four movie. Mm-hmm. Like we needed another one. Yikes. Have there really been four versions? Correct. So there is the there was wow. one that they made in the 80s, which was never actually, that never came out officially. It was just so the studio could mm-hmm. retain the copyright. Uh, there was the two that came out in the nineties that are bad. And then the last one that came out, whatever, a few years ago, which was also bad. <laughs> so this will be the fifth time they've tried to do a fantastic four movie. Directed by Jay Roach, born June 14th, 1957. His first directing job was a film called Zoo Radio, which came out in 1990, but that didn't do very well. So he didn't make another film until Mike Myers took a chance and hired him to direct the first Austin Powers movie in 1997. He'd direct the next two Austin Powers movies and then Mystery Alaska, Meet the Parents, and The Very Bad Dinner for Schmucks. Wow. It's a strong opinion this robot has. I'm sorry. I'm not saying it was a good movie, but uh, the, the Very robot, harsh. This machine is very yes, harsh in their opinion of films. But then Jay Roach would have a mid-career change, sort of like Adam McKay, who began directing things like Anchorman and Step Brothers and now makes important movies such as the big short and vice so jay roach in the last few years has made of uh has made films like trumbo a biopic about blacklisted screenwriter dalton trumbo and bombshell the story about roger roger Ailes, ales roger ales and fox news he's also started being a producer for other people's films but there are no directing projects that have been announced because this has to be the longest fucking preamble we've ever done hey, we had to get into the nitty-gritty of mike myers Holy okay he's a very important canadian hero i'm actually sweating um, <laughs> so that's some backstory <laughs> lucia i want you to tell me like what is your opinion having now just watched this movie yeah in present day in 2020 what is your impression of this second awesome powers movie i mean i still how can I put this? I begrudgingly enjoy it. <laughs> no, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I see that it has problems and there are parts I don't like about it. Um, I see that it's not very culturally sensitive to groups, certain groups of people. So, you know, I don't condone that, of course. But I think because I've been watching this movie since I was 18 and I've seen it many times. It's just kind of ingrained in me. It's hard not to love it. How about you, Dave? I, yeah, I kept falling asleep. I thought it was awful. I, I think there are moments where I laugh, but am I laughing with it or at it? That's a, that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. And not to single her out, but I've never been a very big Heather Graham fan. And, you know, of course, she's the, the gorgeous pinup model uh, look, but... You know, when I was watching this, I realized the thing that bothered me the most about her, which is not something that should bother me, actually, is that uh, she's not an actress. She's actually like a, it looks like a naive, fun-loving girl who's just happy to be on set. Like, it felt like the whole movie she's breaking because she's just enjoying it, but it doesn't play with this character of a spy. Like, there's just, there's just something that I can't keep up with, and I... uh I just, I felt like it kept falling flat for me. I, that's interesting. Cause I feel like that's 
kind of true for everyone in this movie. <laughs> like, it feels like they just got together and like, we're having fun. Let's make a movie. Roll the camera. Uh, let's just improv for this scene for like 20 minutes and we'll cut out the four best minutes of it. But that's the thing with like professional, well, I mean, with comedians uh, and, uh, you know, like everything from Will Ferrell to to Seth Green, like all those little moments where even if they're improv, there's a comedic energy, a sort of a self-awareness of how stupid they're being on the screen. Whereas Heather Graham, for me, just kept getting mm. caught in it. Like in the first movie, uh, not that I watched it in the lead up and also felt asleep like two or three times and uh, and didn't really enjoy it. Elizabeth Hurley, who's also, you know, a pinna model, but she's got that, she's got a look, like she's very self-aware of uh, what she's doing there. And she seems, I don't know, it sounds bad, more intelligent and more intelligible in that role of the femme fatale. And Heather Graham was like, kind of like too sweet. <laughs> it's mm. such a crappy criticism, I, but I, I couldn't buy into it at all. I have to disagree. Um, I really like Heather Graham though, so probably I'm biased. But um, I think that because she was playing it, like she's from the 60s, so she's supposed to be like Austin Powers contemporary and Austin Powers is very silly and like naive. And I feel like she actually fit it really well. Because this is so steeped in like James Bond lore. This is so straight out of Roger Moore era Bond girls Bond himself, like just silly, ridiculous stuff. Like I, I've, I've always taken that to be what Austin Powers is mostly concerned with doing. Here is my bold criticism, and I don't know if either of you are going to agree with me. I actually think there is some legitimately great funny moments in this movie, but none of them involve Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think everybody else are like, I think the Dr. Evil subplot thing, like, I literally could have just stayed with that without ever having Austin Powers come into it. Yes. And I've been like, totally fine. Um, and that's so weird about like the title role and the title character. This is also probably saying more about me. I also very much dislike the Roger Moore Bond films too. So even though I'd like camp and other things, I've never enjoyed that type. I don't know. It's it's a weird balancing act for me for it to actually work. And so because it reminds me so much of Roger Moore, I'm just like, nah, I don't don't care. I think Austin Powers is like camp exponential. Right, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's just too much. He's he's too much for me too. I actually don't disagree with what he's just said. Uh, I'll go stronger. I think he's awful. Yeah. It's disgusting yeah. to look at. His uh, the shtick of him <laughs> being this thing like it plays for the first scene of both movies that women want to lie down with him and by the end it just it's almost disgusting. You know, I just I can't mm -hmm. I can't handle it anymore, but I grew up in an era where James Bond was Roger Moore, and I think that's why I liked it to start. And now that we have a uh, super hot and dark Daniel Craig, I can't, I can't go back, Kyle. Like, mm -hmm. you need to have muscles and, and a will to kill people, right? <laughs> uh, this thing about I guess. floating in space on a raking moon. It's just... Uh, I, I mean, I want to bring up that point a little bit later, because I think that there is a very interesting comparison we can make between how the James Bond franchise has evolved versus how and, and what the role of the awesome powers is um, inside of that. But before we do that, Dave, you're going to be familiar with this over the last few weeks, but I've written some notes while I was watching the movie. <laughs> so to better uh, structure this, there's, of course, the Star Wars crawl that opens up this the sequel. And I don't know why I never put it together before, but it's like, oh, this is obviously because Star Wars Episode One literally came out two weeks before this movie came sorry, out. Sorry, Kyle. Star Wars Episode <laughs> One: The Phantom. One: The Phantom Menace. Sorry, the full title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's literally the only reason why the Star Wars <laughs> crawl is there in the first place. I want to talk about some of the 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 most egregious thing. By the way, I should just point out, just so people are not like surprised at the end. I'm like with Lucy. I'm kind of middle of the road with this movie. There's things like I just dislike of it strongly. And then there's these moments. I'm like, I'm actually having a good time with it. But what I was struck by this time rewatching it, I did not remember all the product placement that happens in this movie and like the egregious product placement. I will tell you this. I would have not have known what Starbucks was at 16 years old because there was not a Starbucks uh here sorry <laughs> like at all so i did not know oh. what starbucks was um now I'm, I'm like oh that's weird why are they in a starbucks headquarters <laughs> like drinking starbucks and uh what was the other thing there's uh, like three other things there's a beer a heineken i think they talk about and yeah coke there's something yeah. else there's like they're constantly we're talking about i'm like boy how much money do they get for talking about all this stuff well in wayne's world they do that 
but they do it so, so cleverly. Right. Yeah. That it's like, it's worth it. But in this one, yeah, it's just not funny. It's clearly just I think for cash. Yeah. The Starbucks reference, uh, and I'm sorry to pull the Toronto thing on you, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, we did have operating movie theaters growing. No, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, you also grew up in a town that had like over a million people. I grew up in like a town of 6,000. Mm, so it's yeah. like. Well, more than two million. Uh, so. I think uh, 2 million people. Uh, so I think that, uh, not that anyone's counting, but Starbucks had already become the evil conglomerate that had destroyed local coffee culture. And this is pre what they call third generation, like in Calgary, awesome coffee. And this is before mm -hmm. uh, people were building these incredible shops and learning how to do these historic uh, brewing methods. So um, I think it played really well in 99 that the correlation of evil was this galactic mm -hmm. empire out of Seattle that had infected everything. It was challenging Tim Hortons, Kyle. Like, people were upset. You don't fuck with Timmy's, man. So, uh... They're not Canadian anyways. Who cares? Well, they used to be. Now they're... Yeah. Now they're just, uh... Well, everything's gone downhill. I think it was around that time that there was one intersection in Toronto that literally had a Starbucks on three uh, of the it's corners. It's still kind of like Probably. that. Actually, now that's Tim Hortons. I think one of them has yeah. changed, now, yeah. Now it's Tim oh. Hortons. There's, uh... And that uh, was okay. the plot of You've Got Mail. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so another big thing here so there of course jerry springer plays this huge part at the, kind of the beginning of the movie very 90s reference i knew who jerry springer was but had never watched that show and my, my parents would not have let me watch that show that'd been a bit too much the first time i got exposed to jerry springer was when i went to university and would watch it late at night sometimes and be like i can't believe these people are real and it turns out they weren't it was mostly made up but still <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I don't, does anyone have any experience with jerry springer other than uh, the obvious joke that's jerry springer yeah i was on it you were on it okay great Which episode? <laughs> <laughs> i was in university ish well i was already uh failed out but yeah you, you were on the university campus i uh i spent a lot of time watching jerry and uh I was actually just talking about this with Helen. Oprah Winfrey started off with a show that was kind of like first generation Jerry Springer before it was Nazis. Yeah. It was like almost shock TV before she became, it's, it's kind of creeps me out a little bit that Oprah ended up here and Jerry ended up, I mean, depends who you talk to either down here or up here because they're both still culturally remembered. It frightens me, Kyle, that that's a barometer of American culture. I mean, that was such a 90s thing, though. Like, that's going to be the next thing they I bring still up. Like, Maury's still out there. You are not the yeah. father, right? I mean, that's that's still a yeah, thing. Yeah, that still we lingers me even about it. right? I mean, how many... It's all the same culture, I right? I think it's, it is. But I, I guess my argument here would be that as much as you're right, like, those shows still exist, they're still on. But there was a time, definitely during the late 90s, where shock tv was the thing to be like it was like that is what was driving the most ratings uh different like sports organizations and i mean i'm, I'm a wrestling fan so they were definitely leaning on it in there too it was like it all we have to do is shock them and be provocative and not have anything else really to offer but be shocking and provocative and that's to an extent still around but not to the same degree i think things have become a little bit more pg actually in recent years but I would argue that that's what led to reality TV, you know, because that's kind of the point of reality TV, too, is like, can you believe these people are real? Right. Yeah. Like your bachelors and all Fire Island and all the other and stuff that's out there. Nowadays. But, you know, I might argue along the same lines that it's not that shock TV left. It's that everything is now based on shock TV, that the mm. volumes changed. And now you yeah, can't can watch... One of the things that struck me watching this is comedy, as disgusting as this movie could be, was still pure then. Like, you you can't really watch a comedy just to laugh anymore. I mean, everything now has to have this raw edge and shock value. It's... Uh, yeah, no, I can see that. Getting a little frustrating. I mean, I, that is actually a big point that I was noticing. And maybe both of you have other examples that you can think of, or I'm just not looking in the right spots. But I feel, this is a feeling, not a reality, I feel that the, the quote-unquote comedy film doesn't really get made anymore. Yes, there's comedies that are made, but there's not like disappear. We're straight up, like start to finish, just a, a wacky comedy meant, meant to make you laugh. They're, those types of movies I don't think get made all that much anymore. And if they are, it's like they're not getting a theater release. Those are going like to Netflix, <laughs> maybe to die, to, that no one's going to watch them. Yeah. 
I think that you've still got like Adam Sandler doing his crap. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but I'm not talking about nostalgia. I love all this oh Netflix boy. stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's like when was the last time that there was just like a wacky comedy that went to a theater and did well? Yeah, like I can't even think of the last one that would like this was the tenth highest grossing movie of the year. I can't even remember like the Hangover was a comedy ostensibly, but even that is not the traditional comedy either i think it started to fade when will ferrell moved to the internet you know oh funny or die yeah because yeah. i think i mean he had a couple he's had a few bombs too but those are of the same vein just so stupid but hilarious and then there's something about that generation you know once uh, like everybody i thought that Kristen wig would come out and just blow out and so mm. like maybe you could argue bridesmaids and then yeah everything on that level flatline but there might be also a correlation both with the internet and you know what is now termed pc culture it's hard to get away with stupid comedy anymore because everybody's angry all the time at something so you know you can't release austin powers right now like it never no, yeah never I, mind I agree. yeah because number one, the, the the two biggest examples, number one, I also rewatched the first Austin Powers just to familiarize myself with like what happened in the first one. Uh, Will Ferrell straight up does brownface in, in the first movie. Yeah, uh, yeah and, I wrote that down. Yeah, and uh, he, it's less so in this movie, but still like, uh, like I felt very uncomfortable watching. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Um, and then, it was fair game. I kept going back and forth because there was certain jokes that I really don't feel like the point of the joke was to make fun of gay people. And then there was later jokes like, oh, no, this is absolutely this is a joke because they're gay. And like, uh, that that feels so dated. I mean, it would have felt a bit dated then, I think, but definitely so now. So it's like, oh, boy, like you can definitely see the age of this film <laughs> when you watch it back, which is unfortunate. Since we're talking about Will Ferrell and Brownface, did you know that this one, uh, not one, but was nominated for an Oscar? Best Which correct this yes. movie because uh, yes. of fat bastard probably probably yes <laughs> F- oh, fat bastard i mean yeah th- th- this is like the uh the the uh eddie murphy movie norbit not only being oh. nami but winning an oscar for uh for best makeup uh, and it's just like oh my god norbit what? Did. that was the joke that year because technically norbit won an oscar before martin scorsese ever won one <laughs> and it's like oh that's that's hard to to stomach but actually that that's a good point on uh, uh the sign of the times eddie murphy made what was the big franchise he had all fat suits uh, oh nutty professor nutty professor and this is the same era that that was you know that's just how you do it that's how you make big comedy hits is uh, you show your comedic range by being to play different characters uh, and then you make fun of fat short gay yeah different colors yeah, all, all, women all the big hits because <laughs> that's that, that's honestly really all the thing that fat bastard is there for is to make fun of that he is a fat person which is mm-hmm. like kind of awful in and of itself i also wrote down like fat bastard in and of itself is such a 90s creation like this is straight up like oh we're gonna make a South Park character be in a live action movie. <laughs> like that's all that that character exists yeah. to be. And so it's like once his like one note joke kind of goes out, it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. It's mm-hmm. maybe reflective a little bit of the SNL sketch comedy mentality brought to a feature film. You mm-hmm. know, like if you had him walk out for 10 minutes in a fat suit that plays one way, it's not necessarily better in its intent, um, I think Austin Powers same thing. Like if he was a recurring character on Saturday Night Live, like many of like Wayne Wayne Campbell, there's something hilarious. If you don't know if he's going to show up, and then he does some stupid shit, and you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty funny. But to sit there for an hour and a half, yeah, oh my god, I think god. that's the, the biggest thing. Like this is usually the big criticism people have about Saturday Night Live characters getting their own movie, which is like there's not enough plot to last an hour and a half. And I know that. Austin Powers was not a Saturday Night Live creation, but it feels that way. I, I like the actual plot of this movie. I should have tried to count it at the very beginning. I think it might be twenty minutes. Like basically, is like how much plot is in there yes. stretched out. <laughs> but th- that being said, I, I, I say that, and yet I loved every Doctor Evil sequence. I, I just enjoyed. But they were separate uh, all from of those the things. plot. They were. They are. I know that has nothing to do with what is going on in the movie whatsoever. But it knows that. In a way, like it, it tells you, Basil says, like, don't think about this too much. Right. And that goes for you too, yeah, audience. Like, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was already upset by the point he said that. It was like 10 minutes in. And I was like, none of this makes sense. And then Basil's like, it's not supposed to make sense. You're like, all right, fine. I'll give you another yeah. 10 minutes. I, I, I can accept that because this is actually sometimes what bogs down time travel movies where they have to like, let's explain this in like, we're going to try and explain this plot mechanic Science. for 10 minutes. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's like, you're doing time travel. <laughs> I'm going to say one of my favorite jokes that is so niche, which is when they're up on the space station, he's mentioning about all the different units that are around. It's like, we have moon unit alpha and they do something. And then we have moon unit Zappa. Do you get the joke there at all? Yeah, that's Frank Zappa's daughter's name. Frank Zappa's daughter is called Moon Unit, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was really fun. And I just like there was like yeah. a very side. And I'm, I would not have understood that at the time. Straight up would not have known that. But now that I do, it's like, oh, that's funny that most people probably don't know <laughs> why that's a funny joke. And then he makes the exact same joke two seconds later with the Alan Parsons The Alan Parsons project. project. Yeah. Uh, I also like the kind of allusion to Charlie Chaplin with the globe bit, because that's straight out of The Great Dictator. Uh, and him playing around with the thing and hitting number two right in the face. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, a little bit of a plot inconsistency because number two is killed off in the first movie and then this come kind of comes back here with no explanation. Well, so does, uh, mm -hmm. is it Mustafa? I mean... Correct, yeah, he's supposedly... I know no, they time well, travel, they went back but, in the sit and, yeah, but yeah. he has the elongated death sequences, which are actually yeah. so Will Ferrell and hilarious, but um, he dies in both, like this, you know, this time travel. Uh, the best part, yeah. the only thing that made the the ball in the face thing was that Rob Lowe, uh, his Sorry, his crying. sudden crying was f fucking genius. It was incredible. The break, he's so okay. good. I laughed there. <laughs> I have to say, Rob Lowe was like genius casting yeah, for a really young good. Robert Wagner. Uh, some things <laughs> that I f found out though, do you, did you know that Rob Lowe used to date one of Robert Wagner's daughters? I did. So <laughs> I think that was so he got to play. Robert his ex-girlfriend's dad. You know, controversy where so he, he knew may him have well. He could murdered his wife, yeah. right? So what? Is that Robert uh, Wagner. What's her name? Natalie Wood. Is it? They were married. The second marriage, she disappeared on an island, and he is the oh, one no. that allegedly had a fight with her on a boat, and she never came back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories. Not everyone knows about oh. yeah conspiracy theories about what happened. So no one, I don't think, really knows. Yeah. But I'm sure HBO will make like a ten part series about it so that we can. <laughs> watch one day i mean we've been talking about it here a lot let's do a, a quick run of this maybe like if you can think of like favorite moment and, and worst moment uh lucia do you have any options for those two? Oh shoot uh well i'll start with my least favorite moment just because that popped into my yeah. head i've never liked potty humor so the part where he drinks Ugh, yeah. the stool sample is too much for me and it takes so long and they warn him and like like he's still, uh, I just, I couldn't, it was too yeah, much. It gags me every time I see that. It's a, yeah. ga it's a gagging mm -hmm. gag. Nice. Um, as for favorite, can you get, come back to me? I don't know off the top of How my head. How about you, Dave? Favorite, worst moment? It, when it ended, that was good. Um, <laughs> sure. The end credits. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I mean, you brought up a lot of the stuff. I mean, some of the interplay, uh, the president, oh my God. Shawshank. Oh, Tim Robbins. Robbins. Yeah, Tim Robbins. Yeah, Tim Robbins is a president's great. I like all the cam. I'm I'm such. A, I know yeah. some people hate that. I love cameos when they're done well. That's so. the thing. Uh, you know him. Even Rob. Yeah, Rob Lowe cameo. Rob Lowe's great, and Seth Green's great as the sulky, uh, you know, embittered teen, and uh, all his uh, side sarcasm to and really emphasize how how stupid Doctor Evil is. The hate is. I don't know if it's the PC or the age, but. What I hate the most about the entire movie is that I've become too sensitive to how egregious <laughs> the intent of the humor is. I mean, even Mini-Me, when Mini-Me came out, I was like, oh yeah, Mini-Me is this movie. And then I'm like, no, like you can't, you can't run with this. It's, you know, I get that it's a clone, but there's a subhuman expression of what, let's say, dwarf, I don't even know what the PC term anymore is. And Vern Troyer is like uh, this intelligent <laughs> actor which we learn after mm -hmm. but he's plays this disgusting freak and i think what was the hardest reflection is that i used to think that she was hilarious i mean that was a big you know that was a t-shirt thing right mm -hmm. same with fat bastard and the poo jokes and i don't know i different time yeah it was a it was a different time how how are you listening could you think of a favorite moment this might be a favorite moment but i really liked the opening and how we learned that vanessa is actually a fembot yeah. i thought that was pretty funny i actually I, i'll be the first one to admit i think that the opening bits 
of each three of the Austin Powers movies are kind of their best features, which is like the dancing through the streets or in this one, like him naked dancing through the thing with all the different titles that are popping up. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but there is actually a sign that says Casino Royale in that opening bit in this movie, which I think is fun. There's a reference to the before they actually made it. Um, And then uh, they made made, a comedy one back in the day. Uh, So for, for me, honestly, I know this is so juvenile. I love the run-on joke that happens near the end where they're basically just doing euphemisms for penis penis, and they cut to like the different sections. It's like, I just love that. And they brought that (laughs) back for the third movie too. But I actually argue too, that most of the things that people remember with awesome powers happen in this movie (laughs) and not the first one. Most of them actually come from this, the the sequel, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. That run-on joke thing. Um, it, it tested so well with their test audiences that they included a second. That's why it came out in the conclusion again. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The the worst moment probably for me, and this is probably what they won the best uh, makeup Oscar for, is uh, literally the fat bastard scene where he's like covered in chicken grease. Like I can't do it. The it's naked just, I can't fat do it. bastard scene. Hmm. Okay, so this is an article I brought up here, just talking about the influence on James Bond, because Daniel Craig is uh, quoted as saying this. This is from uh, theringer.com, written by Miles Surrey. So they're talking about kind of the impact that Austin Powers has had, uh, it being like over 20 years now since the first one came out. And he says, excuse me for my language, mother. But he says, I am a huge Mike Myers fan, so don't get me wrong, but he kind of fucked us. That is his direct quote that Daniel Craig said. <laughs> and so it goes on and talks about what was going on at the time, right? So we have Pierce Brosnan in that role. Uh, there would even be a, a James Bond movie that came out this year before his last one came out a few years later. And it was definitely going back into a kind of a Roger Murray type of tone again, a little bit more campy. And when this Austin Powers kind of came out and really showed like the winking nature of it all, people kind of noticed that. And there was kind of this almost a backlash. There's this uh, quote here from the article I'm just going to read. With the exception of the franchise's frequent use of time travel, the framework of Austin Powers and its quirky cast of characters all come straight from Bond. The list of references is so comprehensive, it requires a glossary. It's also satire that doesn't need to change things too much, because the Bond franchise was already pretty ridiculous to begin with. It's hard to come up with a name more absurd than Pussy Galore. The winking humor of James Bond, particularly during the Roger Moore era, was seen as a feature rather than a bug, though leaning into the camp at times deflated the on-screen product. And so basically two things happened here. I don't know if this, like, so we have uh, Austin Powers showing how ridiculous things are. And then two years later, Jason Bourne films start to come out and actually outgross the James Bond film. And so the producers, the Broccoli's, who are the people who uh, make the James Bond movies, basically said, no, hard reboot, we need to have a more gritty Bond. And so Daniel Craig is mentioning, like, he signed up to be the weird, ridiculous James Bond and didn't get to do it. <laughs> like, that's Whoa. what he was trying to sign up for. And you can kind of see that if you see other roles that he does, like Benoit Blanc and Knives Out or his role in Logan Lucky, where he gets to be a little absurd and Lady weird King. and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's never been able to do with James Bond. So there's definitely I don't know if you what you feel about that. Do you think it was a better move in the James Bond universe to go gritty or would you have preferred it to stay a bit campy? I think culturally it needed to go gritty. Um, the Pierce, I know there are people who like them. I find the Pierce Brosnan bonds terrible. They're, they're not fun to watch and it feels like that's what they're trying to be, but they're not, they're just cheesy. I, I agree. I, I, because I've seen literally every James Bond movie, I have weird opinions of this whole thing. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of the original uh, Sean Connery ones as dated as they, they are as too, like sexual politics and stuff like that. But there's a certain charm to them. Except out of one or two, I'm, I'm a pretty dismissive of the whole Roger Moore ones. I'm the weirdo who actually really Don't loves Timothy it. Dalton. Don't say it. I love the Timothy Dalton That's ones. That's public Because it's basically, now, it's public record and I don't care because it, it's them trying to do uh, Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig. And no one liked yeah, it. I haven't seen those People yet. didn't like it in the 80s and so they had to revert back to the campiness and they did it again in the 2000s. In Living Daylights, mm. okay, but... I think my pause with Timothy Dalton is I just didn't like how he looked. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, there, there's a certain He's look that you have to. He's aged better. He looks more like kind of wolfish now. But when he made that movie, there was just something that I couldn't identify as his deb. And uh, maybe it's because I'm a child uh, during the Roger Moore era. And uh, mm-hmm. 
yeah, that full camp and comedy. But uh, yeah, can't... it's also the one of the few where they really played with him having a relationship outside of his spy game. So I always appreciate it for that, where he's not trying to have relationships with every woman. He's like <laughs> actually a committed relationship. I don't like this revisionist stuff where people will blame. Like we talked about in the Matrix a little bit, and you know Austin yeah. Powers didn't kill Bond. I killed Bond, and I don't think it was born. You know, I, this is an awful way to put it, but nine eleven changed Bond. You know, once once the I used the word zeitgeist earlier, nine eleven changed everything about North American culture, and so True. this uh, fear, like ninety nine, we talked about. There's a lot of. Uh, hidden angst and already a lot of tension uh, in this year but it was more geared towards Y2K and sort of the the end of uh, sort of the golden era of uh, just live and let live to quote a, a bond sort of uh, ism yeah. um, but after after 9-11 and we saw that there was actual fragility in all of it I don't think any I think this is the other thing I've been talking about comedies and everything I think slowly it's eroded our ability to just sit back and enjoy a moment Everything now has to have some kind of cultural uh, moral uh, so that we can ensure the children of tomorrow understand how the real world is, et cetera. And I don't know, it's fucking annoying. I, I think that has something to do with it, but I think it's maybe all of the above more than like it's only this one thing. It probably had a bunch, like, yes, people's tastes over time change. As the younger generations kind of rise up through the ranks, there's going to be those battles that they picked with the previous you know, generation before them. I think it was just coming to a time like the world is changing. Technology is changing um, relationships and like how we view other races, genders, all that stuff is changing. And so working back in this like sixties mentality, just isn't working for us anymore. Yes. Nine 11 had this big reality dump on us. And then I think with Jason Bourne and all this other stuff being like, Oh, we can be gritty and it can actually look good on film nowadays. Uh, I think that was just all of it at once kind of pushed the toward. And you had someone who could legitimately be a badass in Daniel Craig. A thousand percent, none of the previous Bonds, none of them would have been able to pull off what Daniel Craig was able to do. Well, first generation Sean Connery. Like in, in maybe in the first movie when he was still maybe. angry Scotsman. But um, the, you know, it's a great point having uh, unfortunately watched both Austin Powers is that the advances even in two years in cinema, cinematography, staging, uh, prop design do make the second one already infinitely more watchable than the first, even though it's only two years apart. And as we've discussed culturally, at least 99, some of the European and British productions versus the Hollywood blockbuster sort of uh, staging, um, as that changes, what we consider to be watchable has evolved quite a bit too. And mm -hmm. what you can even put and display as a, as a beautiful action sequence. I mean, I find... The Fast and Furious and the Mission Impossible have taken over Bond. I would much rather watch Tom Cruise jump out of a plane or The Rock holding onto a helicopter with his bare hands. I mean, it's so fucking stupid, but that's like, I love it, right? And uh, as much as I love Daniel Craig's Bond movies, he looks like, it's, bring, it's great you brought that up. He looks miserable. And I know he's been on record. He hates it. But uh, yeah, he does. He does. I mean, that's the thing. At, at some point, not right now, it'll take too long, but I'll tell you my theory of what the difference between stupid and dumb is and why I like stupid movies, but not dumb movies. But, anyways, there's a fine line that I like to put in okay. with the semantics that I put into there. <laughs> See, if you were called up today and being like, you need to be an advisor on this mysterious Austin Powers 4 movie that's going to be made, what advice would you give to them, do you think? I would say, don't bring back Fat Bastard at all. <laughs> Don't punch down yeah. in your jokes because there's so much of that. It is. It's, it's and weird. And it doesn't really hold up. I don't know. I, I don't think they can make another one. I know that they've been talking about it for years. It would have to be so drastically different. I, I don't think. That's what I'm it. thinking. Like the, if they came out and made this type of film again, it's like, I don't see how it plays because what they're parodying and satirizing doesn't exist anymore so like what are they mm -hmm. gonna do like i could see what well, I, like what i would say what they could do is literally make a satire parody of the ultra serious bond and like what does that look like in the austin powers universe that would actually be kind of an interesting take on the whole thing i think just looking and and i have this nostalgia of course for the early 90s golden era of saturday night mm -hmm. live cast members uh, 
But when Adam Sandler was descending into madness just before the Netflix uh, renaissance, I mean, he looked like he was going to kill himself. Like if you looked at mm. it, and even in his films, he looked fucking just depressed, miserable, funny. I mean, I know it's Judd Apatow, so it's, he's just a miserable director in the first place. But, you know, by the time he's doing funny people, like that is a depressing movie, even though the stand-up and some of the emerging talent are hilarious in it. My God, that movie is an hour too long and it just, you leave yeah, yeah. and you just, I don't know. But when he came back to Netflix and like, I loved the do-over <laughs> and uh, I was convinced to watch uh, the one with my favorite uh, comedian of all time, Andy Samberg, uh, greatest comedic mind uh, of the next generation, <laughs> genius. Hot Rod is good. I like Hot Rod. Hot Rod. I mean, speaking of like commercially successful, I mean, that movie didn't even get any airplay, but that movie no. is genius uh, for people that like the stupid humor, right? A stupid? Stupid's good? Dumb's yeah. bad? Okay. Stupid's good. Dumb's bad. Um, so <laughs> all of this to preface that if Mike Myers comes back and it looks like if he ever did, he'd probably talk to his buddy Adam and get a hundred million bucks at Netflix that, um, he should target the old audience and just make the same stupid film again with mm -hmm. tweaks in the sense that they'll have to be more PC in general. I think that that's where they have to live a, because how could you even have Austin powers like modern, like you said, but B I think for these comedians to actually enjoy it. I mean, they didn't age They're They're stuck in yeah. comedy writing from the early nineties. It's, it's hard. But, so I am, I consider myself the audience for those movies because uh, I did love them and I was at a good age to, to watch them. So if they come out and do the same thing now, I don't want to see that. So don't you feel like their audience has evolved and therefore they should too? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what was the user rating on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes? Like 77% people still like or 71? it. And, and I know that's the internet and the type of person that wants to log in and either anonymously or name themselves, you know, there's biases built into online uh, polling. I'm not giving this movie 77%. Uh, no, I think no. it's a fucking awful. Um, so you're right in the sense that I'm not 22 uh, anymore and or, or 19 when the first one came out or whatever it was. Um, so I've changed for sure. But the people that would still enjoy the renaissance of this character that still buy into whatever the humor was meant to be are going to be expecting the similar tone. So, you know, maybe it's not as egregious as uh, creating a character just to make fun of a specific demographic. Maybe they bring back fat bastard and, and he's like, right. Super fit. Like, I don't know whatever the gag twist might be, but the humor will have to remain the same tone. Otherwise it's not Austin Powers anymore. It's just a new movie. We're, we're running a bit long, but the last thing here is, do, do we think that this is even culturally relevant anymore? Or is Austin Powers still something that you think people are looking back falling on? Or is it just a, a relic that we know it because we grew up with it? It certainly was culturally relevant. You can't deny that, obviously. I also think that the people who knew it and who were around then still remember it. Like there are things that I watched around that time that I literally don't recall. So I do feel like the people who watched it back when it was new still remember yeah. it because there are things that I don't remember from that time. But no, I can't say that it's culturally relevant now. It was even a joke. I don't know if you ever watched the show Happy Endings. No, uh, it's a pretty good show. It was, it's a handful of years yeah. old now. It's on Amazon Prime. In their Halloween episode. Oh, is it yeah. on Amazon Prime? The Amazon Prime is <laughs> going to pay us money for that plug. So it is good, on Amazon good. Prime. Yeah, all seasons of Happy Endings. Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's really good. Um, and so in one of their Halloween episodes, one of the characters dresses up as Austin Powers, but it's a joke that like mm -hmm. it's so outdated. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I yeah. think that, I guess to come at this from a different angle, I don't think the movie might be like, the viewing of the movie might not be culturally relevant anymore, but like certain phrases and things are still relevant like memes are still shared about austin powers in 2020 so there's some sort of like i don't know permeation that this still has uh past the movie and maybe that's what it is it's the movie itself isn't anymore but it's i don't know power still has some sort of there are memes with manatees in it like i i i don't know i mean the power of a meme like the, the i would wonder if the meme exists only for us to share with each other and not a 19 year old kid who's going to, or 15 year old enough, kid who yeah. even understands what the image is of anymore. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another, um, people are not sharing 
Uh, oh gosh, I'm eight millimeter. Actually, no. Nick Cage is all over the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage is all over the internet. But the the British movie that we watched, like that, still uh, crazy, still still crazy. Like people are not sharing still crazy. They might in the UK. That movie's Maybe so well reviewed. It's it's unbelievable because it was yeah. awful. We are done here. The machine has told us we have to stop, so we have to to wrap this so up. So bossy. Now I always feel bad when we have a guest, Lucia, because we have to first go into our ratings for this movie, which we you can find on our Letterboxed profile, so Letterboxed.com/slash/kdvstm, which is also all of our that is our social media handle here as well is KDVSTM. But if you were to rate this movie out of five, what do you think you would give it? Even though your rating technically doesn't matter. Oh, here we go. Here we go. You're committing. This is on record. Well, actually, I use Letterboxd, so I did rate mm. it. And I, oh, this is so embarrassing. When I went to log it this time, uh, it'll show you whatever rating you had before. Right. So my previous rating was a four and a half Whoa. out of five. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I brought that down, I think it was to a three. Mm-hmm. I still like it. Yeah. I still think it's fun and I, I think it has problems and I would love to remove certain parts of it, but uh, overall I still will enjoy watching it. I'm I'm right there with you. I also would give it a three. And I, I mean, I give threes a lot to movies that I feel are pretty mediocre because it's like, I don't hate it enough to be like, I hate this movie to such a degree. And I don't love the movie to like such a degree to like make it higher. It's like, it's in the middle. It's, it's a technically forgettable movie, <laughs> but there might be some elements that I like. <laughs> Dave, what are you going to rate this? I like that you just justified giving a middle score to middling movies. That's a great, yeah. that's a great uh, <laughs> description of what a three, what a three is. Uh, I gave it a two just because I liked part of it. Because this movie should be a zero, uh, but and there are parts you're right. There are parts that are still funny. There's still side characters that uh, the the gags work. The the penis thing's hilarious, and uh, the rest of the movie can go rot in hell. <laughs> All right. Well, that means then that with your two and my three, that averages two point five, which is what we're going to be rating this movie on Letterboxd. And so entering our list at number fourteen is Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Lucy, you've been such a great guest, but could you maybe tell people about your podcast? Oh, thank you. So um, me and my cousin Janet host a podcast called Repodcasting, where we pick movies that we think have some kind of miscast role in it, and we recast it. It's. Uh, I really like it. I like playing along. Actually, you were great to have on because you recently did a James Bond episode. And uh, <laughs> I was so glad that you brought up. Oh, I'm going to totally blank on his name. The gentleman from Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Henry. <gasps> that was Janet's pick. Yeah, I don't uh, remember his I, name. I was so aligned with her on that pick. I'm like, I kind of hope they do. They won't, but it would be great if that's who they picked as James Bond. Um, and I was like, there. I mm-hmm. thought I think about this all the time, way too much. Like, who would I pick as James Bond? But <laughs> if people wanted to stay in contact with you or find you online, uh, what are some of your social media handles? We are repodcasting on all the social media things. So nice and cool. easy. Find Excellent. Us there. So let me just push this button. Let's see what we're going to be reviewing next week, Dave. Oh, great. We get to go watch The Iron Giant. All right. All right. Better yeah. than... It's been a while yeah. since I've seen that movie. I'm not actually sure if I... I know of it. And we'll see if I've oh, actually seen it. I do like it quite a bit. Lucy, have you ever seen The Iron Giant? I haven't. That's a gap in my movie viewing history. It's good. Uh, a non-Disney cartoon. And it's, I think it's one of the best ones. So I'm excited to see it. Well, Dave, uh, maybe you should just unplug this lamp. Uh, the, 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 the machine seems to be a little bit too groovy right now for my taste. You'll notice, Kyle, that it is not plugged in. This lava lamp oh. is self-perpetuating. It will never die, much unfortunately like this movie. Why did the robot's eyes go red then? It's like it's high. Well, you made it. You have to use the user manual that you clearly created. There's a giant book oh, at right. its feet. We'll have to. Let me get this book. <laughs> <laughs>